Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Champions League expansion. Hello and welcome to episode 28 of this season's Real Football Cast. As always, I'm your host Dan Tracy and in the next 30 minutes we'll be dissecting one hot topic in football. With no league or cup action this week, it's slightly different this time around. Although there is an off-pitch activity that's caught our eye and it'll be getting our attention in the next half hour. It hasn't been another incredible week of domestic football, but there is a hot topic to discuss and helping me do that this week is Carl. He takes back the captain's armband. So Carl, how have you been since we last spoke? Yeah, really good, Dan. I mean, Spurs football-wise haven't always been on their top game, so that's that's been a little bit disappointing. But we can't moan at the football we've been served up in general um, and looking forward to getting all things football again with you guys today. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to have you back on board. And it also means you're joined by Fulham fan Matthew. Matthew, I hope all is well. How has the international scene been treated with you this last week? Oh, the international football has been fantastic. You know, I've... I'm very much pro international football on the on this show. Even you know, even though it might get a bad rap from the majority of England fans because of their boring processions every four years or every two years. But yeah, I've quite I've quite liked it, and more than happy to uh, branch out on some of the discussion topics for today. Yes, of course. There's no football to really dissect in our usual manner. I know there's international football, but it's a different path we're going to take today. So before we get onto that path, I'm going to very quickly do the social media bits and they are as quick as this. You can find me on Apple, SoundCloud, Spotify, the Sports Social website. Also, if you want to read my betting previews, go to betting.com. If you want to read my thought pieces, go to nowsport.com. And also, all the podcast platforms are on Linktree slash RealFootballCast. Put a dot in the R and the E in Linktree and then you get 10 podcast platforms a bit shorter this week because we've got one thing to crack through and i want to crack onto it now and where should we go first well we can only go to one place that's the uefa headquarters in i believe nyon switzerland and cole the plans to expand the champions league to 36 teams is pretty much going to be dotted by the time people listen to this podcast it should be done and dusted with those plans is it a european super league in all but name 
Yeah, I think it's heading that way, isn't it? Um, when when you look at the plans and what they're trying to do with the competition and how you can envisage it potentially working, um, I think this is the first route, as you say, Dan. It's kind of effectively setting one of these up um, without giving it the name. Um, and obviously, when you look at some of the suggestions and, and that that are in this kind of plan of how they want to do it, then you do kind of get the impression that this is what it's going to lead to. Um, and again, I, I'm not a fan of it. I don't like some of the stuff that are in the plans, which I'm sure we'll discuss as this goes on. But yeah, I think FIFA is definitely looking like that they're setting this up and trying to get the wheels in motion to get it going. So Matthew, obviously, talk of a European Super League is usually viewed as sabre-rattling by Europe's elite. You know, it's always a threat that's going to be there until the end of time. Does this proposed move keep those big clubs happy? And is that threat always going to be there until they finally go off and make that Super League an actual reality? I think there is, but from my understanding, and I would admit I've read about five different articles on this over the past five days, and there may be some stuff that's all come confused. But from my understanding, they're basically just adding more teams. It's not like they're compacting all the big teams, which is what the European Super League has always been you know, sort of branded as. It's... Juve, Barcelona, Real Madrid, Man United, Man City, basically that top 12 or so just compete against each other for, for a whole season. Whereas with this Super League, it just looks as if it's the Champions League. So you still get, with all due respect, the lesser teams like your um, Fenerbahce's, the, basically the teams that don't tend to go well in the deep in the competition. You know, So the champions of Scotland, the champions of Greece and so on will still be there. But all you're going to be adding is like like the fifth best team in France or whatever. So it's not quite European Super League as I think many of us have expected. But I do think that it is just one, you know, one more step. Let's just try this. And then if everything is working out, if TV ratings are going up, if sponsor money, if prize money and so on and so forth is going up with it, then they'll say, right, who's losing us money in this sort of situation? Let's get rid of them. Let's get rid of them. And I do think it is a precursor, but I do still think there's a long way to go before we get to you know, that top 16 or top 12 or top whatever amount you want to put just playing exclusively each other. Yeah, of course. It's a long way removed from that, but there's always that fear of once change is made, it never goes backwards. For example, the Euros will never shrink in size now. It's got bigger from 2016, it's never going to go back to 16 teams. It's always this kind of mindset of more, more, more. You know, how much football can we cram into a schedule? And this is the worry that more clubs becomes more match days, becomes less somewhere else and so on and so forth. So it's a step, but is it a step in the right direction? Carl, in terms of the Champions League itself, I know the season has been tough from our point of view as Spurs fans because we're not in the competition. From a general point of view, there's no fans in the ground. But would you say you've been interested in the competition as a whole? Really tough one, Dan, because I think, unfortunately, you kind of, if, if your team's not in it, I think the only time you really sort of get interested is once you get into the knockout stages yeah. and you then potentially see some of those bigger teams drawn together and you kind of think, wow, you know, this could be a massive game. You know, Bayern, PSG, you're sitting there thinking, wow, this could be a game I want to watch because this could be great. I think the group stages... You know, given the fact that, you know, normally you've got two stronger teams and two kind of weaker, you know, essentially what we would be considered the weaker sides in the group. 
I think some people can, you know, say if your team's not in it, would I turn the telly on to watch some of these other teams in the group stages? No. Would I even turn it on to watch a big side against a lesser team? No. And you would only do that if your side's in it, really, or you're a real football, you know, mad football where you want to watch every single game that's going. Um, And there's nothing wrong with that. But I think the general consensus is most of us go, if your side's not in it, it only really gets interesting towards the, you know, the last games, the semi-final, quarter-finals, semi-finals and finals. And then I think everyone watches because we all want to see those games. Um, and that, for me, is one of the problems with this, isn't it? You start adding more teams and make those group stages longer. I think the, I think the, the fans suddenly get a little bit turned off by that. And, I, you know, I'm sure there's more money in it because we all know all these things are driven by financial decisions and, and someone wants to gain something. But I do think there is an element where you could start to turn fans off if you stretch this out longer than it already is. Well, that's going to be the next question to Matthew. Matthew, is 10 group games pre-Christmas over the point of saturation? You know, as football fans this season, it's been one like no other where there's been football on loop almost you know by the necessity of you know fans at home and all this and so on and so forth but if in a normal season you've got 10 Champions League midweek game weeks is that too much for you to bear it's not and it sort of comes back to what Carl was saying it depends on what the games are and again based on what I've read from this there's they're going to be like seeded the games are going to be seeded so as far as I'm aware you could still get you know in your 10 games it could be Barcelona playing five teams again like the champions of greece champions of turkey champions of latvia so on which you there i could sort of get oversaturation but if it works out in such a way where every single you know you get 10 you know they're back to back to back weeks so you have barcelona v man city v juventus v Bayern munich v psg v atletico madrid say then i can sort of i can sort of get the appeal of that so i think a lot of it will come down to what exactly the, what what the games are because I don't think there's going to be I saw this I saw this on Twitter today um, when I was just looking up on this so when this you know movement goes through it'll be the end of my watching the Champions League and I think I not I'm I'm not even sure if I would if if if, you know, if that's the right attitude because there are still some big games I don't think he's you know that sort of fan is just going to turn off the Champions League all season and just on a Tuesday or Wednesday night you know go down to the local the, uh, the uh, local non-league team. If Barcelona are playing a big game, or if Man City are playing a big game against a big opponent, there will be some people there. There will there will be some people who want to watch it. So I think that is going to be one of the big appeals of is what sort of games are we getting? If they're ten good games, then I don't then I don't really see a problem with it. But if it's ten you know walkovers effectively, then yes, I do see the problem. Well, Carl, if we look at this format in a little bit more detail. 36 teams are going to play 10 matches. Now, you're sort of thinking, how on earth does that work? Because it's not like a neat mini-league or a group. You're not going to get 10 blockbusters. If you're Barcelona, you're going to have to play a mixture of big teams and little teams. So you have to assume that five of those weeks, as Matthew said, will be more dead rubbers. Five of them will be closer to what you're seeing these days. With that in mind, due to this weird format that we don't really know how it works, is it right for a bit of integrity damage in that some fixtures are going to be horrendously lopsided 
Yeah, I think so, because as you say, Ben, if you're going to cram all those fixtures in, then we all know most teams already are complaining about fixture pile-up and, you know, potentially having to field, you know, weak, essentially weaker sides because they've got to prepare for, for other games going forward. So then you start sitting there thinking, don't you, as you say, if it's, say, a 5-5 five and five split, five great games, five really poor games, well, those five really poor games, you know, are you going to be seeing those sides putting out the sort of teams that maybe warrant the competition? Because if Barcelona are playing a team or Man City are playing a side where you kind of think, well, actually, their second string will probably still turn these over comfortably, then, again, for me, it all just devalues the whole competition. Because, you know, if you, again, if you're paying top dollar Champions League money and you turn up and don't see half the players that you'd really want to see for, for that sort of competition, you would feel a little bit robbed if you're a fan. And as you say, sides will have to really juggle this dependent on, you know, what their priorities are. And then obviously it's not just that competition, is it? You don't have the knock-on effect as to what side do they put out in their next upcoming league fixture. Um, so it's not that competition that then just suddenly loses its kind of, or possibly has its credibility called upon because these the teams that are in there will have to manage that schedule um so yeah i do think you know this could lead to certain games and especially as the competition goes on and one team essentially have realized that well we're not quite we're not going to qualify now given the results we've had well then where's the incentive to carry on putting a decent side out in that competition once you know we're not gonna we're not gonna make it through to the next round you're not going to prioritise that anymore and you're just going to start fielding weaker sides for the competitions where you do feel you have a chance. And as you say, where does the credibility then come in that competition? And that's another thing that just will help it lose that appeal after a little while. Well, this is the point, isn't it? Because surely it creates too much bloat in terms of dead rubbers. So if you think of where we are at the moment, you have six group stage matches and none of them are really dead rubbers. Maybe a something in match day six where it's all been wrapped up, but we're talking one game week. You could have many more across a game week in those final two, three weeks of that first phase. Now, Matthew, I don't know about you, but I like my tournaments to have some form of numerical order. For example, you start with 32, you have some groups, 16, 8, 4, 2, so on and so forth. You take the Euros, as I mentioned, that's a tournament which now allows third place teams to qualify to the knockout phases. And already that in itself creates a kind of, not anti-football, but you can get away with drawing two matches. You know, you're not necessarily playing to win. So is that going to be an issue in this expanded Champions League? I think I think that is the case. And your point about the Euros is, is, is spot on, because I remember in Euro 2016, Portugal made it through with three draws. Yes. And the Republic of Ireland got through with one win and two losses. It just, I, it, it just, it just baffled me. I mean, admittedly, Portugal used it to their advantage to go on to win, but on the but just on a basic principle, I don't agree with that as a thing. So yeah, anti-football and all these dead rubbers, there is there is a potential for that, especially if again you again using the maths of this, if you know Barcelona have won their first seven games, say, which puts them on, gotta get back to maths now. Twenty-one points. Twenty, 21 points. Thank you. It's too hot for these sort of maths. Um, <laughs> To put it on 21 and, you know, the way the table has worked, you know, draws for everyone else. It means they can basically just jack, you know, jack in the last three games. 
then yeah, there is some element of dead rubber and all that's really going to, especially if it's against a team that is not going to make that qualifying playoff round they're proposing, the the qualifying 16, I don't want to be official, but there is the potential that you could have three meaningless games rather than just the one, as you propose. So yeah, I think there is there is that inherent danger at, at, you know, lurking at the back of it. Yeah, because the more games there are to start with, the bigger the opportunity to get a wider distance of points. With it being six rounds or six match weeks, you can't really get that far away. So that's why there's always that jeopardy towards the end of the, the stage of the competition. Whereas if you expand it out to 10, as we've sort of all agreed, 8, 9 and 10 in that phrase could be, you know, a real sort of damp squib, so to speak. So, you know, there is dangers. You know, as we keep sort of saying, more football is not necessarily the best thing. But I think, Carl, the worst thing that stands out for me is the wildcard element, one that offers a level of protection to standard qualifiers in the past that haven't made it through their domestic routes. You know, how does the prospect of wildcard entries sit with you? Yeah, I'm with you, Dan. You know, it doesn't sit comfortable, does it? Because this is where, you know, and you start to sit there and go, you know, talk about opening yourself up for people claiming corruption and all that kind of thing. Because as you say, how, how is this wildcard going to work? Um and essentially, all you're really doing is favouring the clubs that you want in the competition. You know, suddenly, you know, Man City have, or say, let's that, take Liverpool right now, for instance, who, who've not had a great season. They're in six, or if they're in six or seventh, and their season looks like pattering out, they still have that comfort of knowing, well, it's all right, boys, we're going to be in the top competition next season because we are Liverpool, and 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 they want us in there for the money that we bring into it. Um, and it's just not that's just not fair, is it, on a team that potentially might have finished above them, done better. Um, and essentially you're saying, well, it doesn't matter how well you do, we will still always get a place in this competition and chances are you won't. Um, and that, that can't be right in any competition at all, surely. Well, Matthew, the fear is that once this small level of protectionism enters the Champions League, the underlying principle of sporting merit is kind of done. And not only that, it would only become further eroded over time. Because if you start having, what, two wild cards or four wild cards, then it becomes eight and so on. You know, we're only sort of becoming back to that racket of clubs, that elite, which then are protected each season. And it doesn't really matter where you finish in the league. It does. And I think that sort of offers offers no more problems. Because at the same time, you know, a team like Liverpool, who, you know, in previous seasons would have gone into the last three or four games of the year, Sitting comfortably third, say, and with the Champions League final, other you know, in that sort of 2005, seven, eight, that sort of period, where they would arrest the players, then you're sort of getting that. You could get that really for an even longer stretch of time because if you imagine if Liverpool for next season were guaranteed to be in the Champions League, given the way they started this season, they would have they would have jacked it in in January, for all we know. In which case, then the whole of the rest of the season doesn't doesn't mean anything for them. And then you're sort of corrupting, probably not the right word, but you're uh, exploiting, changing the whole dynamic of the whole Premier League because that's you know, 15 games worth of teams not really caring. So I don't think it is you know, incredibly worrying that you, you have this you know, free pass, as it, as it were, for some clients. And as you say, the allegations of corruption and who's going to work their way in and who sort of deserves to be in just you know, goes out the window. So, Carl, I guess the obvious question from an English football point of view, where on earth do you fit in four more match days in the first half of the season? 
Yeah, and that is the question, isn't it, Dan? Um, you know, you, you're sitting there going, this is a schedule that's already stretched out. You are then looking at having a scrapper cup competition, aren't you? You can see clubs saying, well, look, if this is going to be the case, we either need to be withdrawn from one of those cup competitions because we don't need the extra games. Um, but then there's a worrying piece in this plan, isn't there, Dan, where there's a hint, hint suggestion to the worldwide football community a league with 20 in it could be too many. Um, hint, hint, maybe you want to restructure your leagues and knock that down by a few teams. Um, and that way you reduce your schedule and allow us to fit more of these games in. And that doesn't sit right with me because I don't want one competition potentially dictating how we go forward and, and what we do with our domestic leagues. Um, because as we know, the bigger clubs who know they're going to be in this, they will be all for this. Um, and yeah, that that I don't like that idea. But the only way you're going to fit that in is something's got to give and something's got to go. So that will either be less teams in a league and leagues will be, you know, reducing or, you know, increasing the relegation size and giving the lower leagues more teams. Or we start losing cup competitions so that we can fit this one competition in. Well... You mentioned a reduction in the Premier League. I'll get to that point in a moment, but you also mentioned the EFL Cup, so we'll get to that now. Matthew, we've long since offered the prophecy of the EFL Cup changing its stature in the game, shall we say. If these plans do get greenlit, then surely that becomes nothing more than an academy tournament for those clubs who would be in the expanded Champions League. Yeah, you've literally just sort of... As you were talking about that, I was coming up with an idea in my head that I think what's going to happen, if that is the case, I reckon they will just effectively merge the EFL Cup and the EFL Trophy and just sort of combine the two. So those who are in the, you know, those who are in the Champions League, so your Man City, your Man United, just keep the League Cup structure as it is. Get rid of the group games in the EFL Trophy. But basically, instead of having Manchester City in, you just put Manchester City's under twenty threes in in a straight knockout competition. That way, it's you sort of get the you get it, but you get the best of both worlds without having to add extra fixtures on, you know, unnecessary fixtures on for the uh, teams in Leagues One and League Two. You can have it's their sort of competition as well. So I think that is probably one way they are going to go. Because I, yeah, because as Carl says, one cup is going to have to go in in this situation. And it's not going to be the EFL trophy because it doesn't really affect them. But the EFL Cup, the Carabao Cup, is certainly under threat, as it has been for many, many years. Well, Carl, if that happens, we kind of forget the EFL in all of this. The EFL Cup, you know, as football fans, we have a habit of looking down on it. We're a little bit snobby at times. But it's a massive lifeline in terms of funding for those clubs in tiers two to four. So if that gets scrapped or, you know, even merged with the Papa John's, as Matthew's just said, what happens next? Yeah, and, and that's the thing, isn't it? Because as you say, you know, that, that competition is struggling as it is, isn't it, Dan? You know, already, you know, lots of teams, and we're even talking lower league sides, start fielding weaker sides in this competition now because they're prioritising their domestic season. Once you kind of withdraw that kind of, I don't know, glamour element where one of those lower sides might draw Man City, Liverpool, Chelsea, Man United, and you kind of withdraw that out and it's like, well, yeah, you might draw Man United, but it's their under-23s. Then that completely goes because no one's then 
you know, no one's looking to buy a ticket for that fixture because it just becomes a, a game that the appeal is gone. It's not the glamour tie anymore. Um, and those clubs start losing that, you know, potentially essential extra revenue that that competition can bring. Um, and again, for me, all that kind of then does, you just you're just kind of, you know, demoralising that competition and just making it an unattractive thing for all the teams. You know, it suddenly becomes one where you go, well, actually, we don't actually want the cost of having to be in this because, you know, we'd rather have that day not in that competition. And there, therefore, it's not appealing. And again, you're talking about all these knock-on effects from one competition to make that a bigger and more glamorous thing. It's not great for the domestic game at all. Matthew, one voice who's been worrying about this expansion of the Champions League is Crystal Palace chairman Steve Parrish. Is it fair to suggest that actually the clubs in the middle bracket of the Premier League might feel the squeeze the most? Um, there is, yeah, there is some element of that because it's again with that whole wild card thing, it sort of decentralises some of them for, you know, for what they for what they want to you know for what they want to aim for if you. You know, if Liverpool, Man City, and all these are sort of guaranteed, then there's really no chance of Crystal Palace ever sort of making that breakaway. Um, you know, a la Leicester have done this season. You know, if it's a if it's a closed shop, then there's no, really no incentive for Crystal Palace or anything, you know, or any of the or any of the sides, you know, in and around that, in and around them in the mid table, you know, to try and accomplish anything because what's the point if it's if it's a closed shop? So yeah, there is some element of you know, you're you're going to create a glass ceiling potentially. At the same time, Cole, is there potential for, how should we say this, civil war in the Premier League? Because if you've got the big six with their eyes on the Champions League prize and less domestic football, they might want to contract down to 18 teams. The rest of the league, that's 14, are saying, no, we want 20. Can it ever get voted through in terms of change? It would be interesting, wouldn't it? Because as you say, Dan, I think those those big six and the protected names, we all know which way they'll be voting, 100%. But I then do think you would see the kind of teams below that just going, well, no, we're not having this um, because you lot are just trying to go off into this different stratosphere and leave us behind. And and if you go and leave us behind, and as we're saying, this potentially starts the, the long road to the Super League, well, then where does that leave football in general, in the future years to come. Because, as we've said, if you took that six, that top six or eight sides out of the league and put them in a Super League all of a sudden, does the Premier League become as appealing? Um, who's your top side then? Suddenly Everton become your the team that everyone wants to aspire to in that league um, at some point. Do, does, the, does the interest in the domestic game excel at that point or does it just kind of dwindle away all of a sudden um so i can definitely see the sides that don't consider themselves in there saying no we're going to dig our heels in and make this as difficult as possible and whatever votes come our way we'll go against it but at the same time as we all know money rules the roost um and and you don't know what can happen and what incentives can can be handed down to kind of change those votes but I, I definitely would see the lesser sides and those that don't think they could make that dig their heels in and try to make it as difficult as possible. Yeah, I mean, the bargaining position would be quite an interesting one to start with. You do fear that the amount of foreign owners in the Premier League might also buy into that dream. And as you say, Carl, some money can always be found somewhere to grease the wheels. So although there is a obvious split at the moment, 
a few million here, an extra incentive, etc, etc, and all of a sudden that stance may change. And Matthew, finally, if that stance does change and the league is scaled down to 18 teams in 2024 or a year either side, would that then increase the amount of yo-yo promotions that we're seeing as of late? West Brom, Norwich, even your beloved Fulham to a certain degree. Would that kind of legacy money that they've got already keep them at the top of the championship and then propel them back into the Premier League? Yeah, I think I think there's a there is an element to that, especially if you tweak the amount of teams that can come come up and go down. There is, and with the money and with the money involved, yeah, it will just be you know, similar to similar to it, it is pretty much this way right now. It's just, but I reckon it will be sort of magnified and um, multiplied just many times over. You will see basically whoever gets into the Premier League in that you know in that last season before the shrinking begins. They're just going to be at a, at a great disadvantage that the other teams really won't be. Yeah, and of course, if it does get scaled down to 18 teams, then I'd imagine you'd lose a automatic relegation spot. You'd be going two down, maybe a playoff that we discussed a week or so ago that 16th would then play third in the championship or something. You know, I think that would be up for grabs also. But that has flown by. We've run out of questions, we've run out of talking points for now, but I'm sure it will be a talking point that we come back to. Because after 2024, if this does go to plan from tomorrow, Wednesday, football will never be the same. And I genuinely mean that. Right, on that, well, I don't know about Dow note, but on that note all the same, I need to do the admin. And that's as simple as thanking my two Pod Squad members for their sterling chat this afternoon. Matthew, top work as always, mate. A pleasure as always. No worries, good. Hopefully you get more of these in the future. Yes, I'm sure there's scope for more. And Cole, thanks for wearing the captain's armband this afternoon. Thanks for your time as always. Yeah, cheers. Re- really good. And I really enjoyed that one. Um, and like as you say, Dan, we just have to see where the land lies, won't we? Absolutely, mate. Right. With that said, it just leaves me to say that my name's Dan Tracy. This is The Real Football Cast. And until next time, goodbye. Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network.